0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Masters of Divinity. I'm your moderator, J.P., I'm here with Father Chuck. Aloha. And uh Matt is on his way. I promise he'll be here. Um wow. Can I just say wow, Father Chuck? I mean you're you're always allowed to say wow. What what a time to be alive right now. Um, because I never thought that I would ever be such a huge fan of Jerry Falwell Jr. Um <laughs> <laughs> Turns out, nothing like his dad. Um, uh, and uh, dude just wants to party. This is what he just wants to party. Yeah, he's a party <laughs> guy. He's a party animal. Uh, well, I mean, I, he said he was going to be a good boy, but we all know what that means, right? We've all we've all had to had to give that speech every once in a while, haven't we? I
1: mean. <laughs> It's uh, what what gets me in all of this. Now, I'm a firm believer in. I think it's in the Psalms where it says that um, we should not rejoice in the calamity of our enemies. Maybe it's Proverbs, it's one of those one of those poetic wisdom passages.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so, I and I take that to heart. I don't believe in rejoicing in the downfall of anybody. Um, I. So it's I, I I feel I feel I feel bad about, you know, how that's affecting a lot of people.
0: Yeah. Um.
1: At the same time. This really, to me, I, I hope can be a good example to a lot of our religious leaders to just be honest, <laughs> okay. because none of this would be a problem if there wasn't if there wasn't deep hypocrisy implied. Right. Right. Uh-huh. Because there's, there's so many people, at like so many students at Liberty right now that are facing expulsion because they had a photo taken with them holding a beer. Exactly. You know, and black liquid. <laughs> so stupid. seriously, how stupid. Just, how you stupid just, all, you you all you had to say was
0: soda. All you had to say was soda.
1: RC Cola. What it could have been anything. <laughs> <RC>. <laughs>
0: Tab for God's sakes,
1: yeah. <laughs> but Blackwater, come. was this the Pirates of Blackwater. Like, have you found the secret of the, the Blackwater <laughs> cursing the planet? Um, you're gonna plunge your broken sword in it. Sorry, that was a great old wow, random show. You're going way
0: back. That's the that deep cut. Yeah. Um, not even 90s kids will remember because nobody watched it. Wasn't it just uh, 13 episodes or something? Right, like.
1: Yeah, it was, and then I only caught it on uh, reruns on Cartoon Network, and I was like, "This is awesome."
0: You know what? I bet uh, Jerry Falwell Jr. liked it too. Probably. He wasn't but, allowed to watch it, but he watched it anyway because he's cool.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's clearly <laughs> right. Like, okay, so dude's into some kinky stuff. He's. Uh, he likes know, to have. He's... He
0: likes. He likes to throw throw a little little shindig every now and then on the yacht.
1: Yeah, I mean, maybe it was with university funds, but you know he's. <laughs> it's yeah i mean that's the thing is it's like this wouldn't be much of a problem if he wasn't running around trying to pretend that he's some bastion of conservative christian morality and that liberty university is some bastion of a particular understanding of conservative christian morality right um you know it's it's hilarious in a way.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I'm not going to be one of those people that's like, oh, good. L- liberty deserves better than that. <laughs> like, who, who do you want in charge of Liberty? You know? Like, yeah. so it's like, I can't even be, like, I can't even be, like you said, you know, gleeful at his downfall. Cause it's like, well, it turns out Liberty is run by a pretty cool guy, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if I call him cool. I know. Well, I, I'm I mostly exaggerating. I, I'm just saying, like, I don't know. I I, I I I suddenly found myself, like, kind of understanding him a little bit more.
1: Yeah. Well, okay, because, right, it's actually a really good thing for us to talk about because we both, when going through our own sort of post-evangelical – like, we were in a, we an evangelical university that has long time been compared to Liberty University.
0: Right, which is a joke, we, but yeah. Right,
1: <laughs> but we grew up – we grew up – Um. We we grew up in evangelical households. Yeah. And we we sort of rebelled against that by
0: partying. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: A lot of time spent in bars and
0: I could totally see myself taking a picture like he did in college. Like Oh totally. Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Totally. You know? And and so yeah, so I can see that thing. Like we we can relate to him because, you know our parents' generation were shaped by his dad. And we grew up in the shadow of the same crap that his dad perpetuated. Totally. And so we've kind of gone through a similar thing. The difference, we're not running his dad's
0: university. (laughs) Yeah.
1: (laughs) And trying to tell people that voting for Donald Trump is like a godly action and the only way to preserve some kind of chaste christian morality that apparently he never actually believed in himself
0: right but you know but hey but hey there were plenty of kids who were like that though right who like mm-hmm. one night you see them at o'shea's and you're partying oh, yeah. and dancing on the bar with them and then the next day it's all button up you know oh yeah oh yeah mm-hmm.
1: you see and that was the thing right like that was the thing that got me in trouble with pba yeah is i didn't pretend right you know and then they and they gave me an opinion column, which is hilarious. <laughs> By the way, do you know what the hardest article I got? Uh, I ever the one article I could never get published. What was that? Right. Like, okay, well, let's let's walk through this for the sake of our audience. Okay, so I was the opinion editor at uh, the at the Beacon, which was Palm Beach Atlantic University's newspaper, which is not like a magazine. It's very weird. Um, it's a PR rag now, uh, <laughs> but it was an attempt at actual journalism when I was there. So I had a column, The Commuter Cause, for a year, and then I was the opinion editor. Um, but when I had The Commuter Cause, I wrote – I treated it as just like a thing to write little, little articles and stuff. Yeah. And um, I know you're trying to bring that on. Yeah, yeah um, keep going. And so I wrote articles like – I got one published that flat out called <laughs> The University Racist. For its treatment, uh, for its reaction to BET's spring bling showing up <laughs> in town. Um, I wrote articles um, basically telling overly, overly affectious students to just go get a room because I was tired of seeing wow. it. Um, I wrote, I'm trying to think of what else. What was another other good controversial article that I wrote? <clears throat> His, I don't uh,
0: know. Anyway, We're talking about Chuck's, you know what grinds my gears, articles.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah, I. So I just gotta say, we um. We had technical difficulties because I'm assuming you're recording now. So yeah. I have to leave in order to record with you because my internet wasn't working, and for once in a very blue moon, the uh, cell phone service is better than my actual internet. But. I've joined in twice now, and both times that I joined in, Chuck is talking, and I'm like, "What the heck is going on?" <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know. I don't know what we. I just came into the middle of. And we're, I'm we're not sure I want to be here. But we're, talking uh... Falwell. we're talking about
1: Fallwell. We're talking about Fallwell a little bit.
0: <laughs> he did not <laughs> yeah, fell, like fall fall that well. <laughs> yeah, no, he,
1: he fell. Nah,
0: yeah. he did. He did like a tr- like like a trooper. He's, he's 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 yeah
1: but no so anyway jp the article that i could not get published it took me weeks of like diligent legitimate interviewing journalistic stuff and the staff would not would not permit it to be published was how to throw a party at pba (laughs) without getting in trouble (laughs) i sat twice with eric loudermilk (laughs) And talked to him about, he was the disciplinarian of the school and said, All right, what are the rules? And I basically was like, You want to throw a party? Here's how you avoid getting in trouble. And he walked through with me all of the stuff that you need to avoid. You know, like if you're going to have drinking, you need to have signs saying, you know, 21 and up and all this stuff. (laughs) And they would not publish the article, wouldn't
0: do it. Well, That's why we have a podcast, Chuck. That's what today's episode is all about. How to throw a party at Palm Beach Atlantic (laughs) University. In 2007.
1: (laughs) Uh, um, But no, I brought this. I just want to mention this because it shows to me, right, like this kind of hypocrisy that we're talking about with in these university systems. Right. It's we're going to allow it, but we're not going to put it front and center or we're not even, we're going to allow it but we're not going to acknowledge it.
0: Right.
2: Like like I said, I I came into this halfway. I'm half understanding what's going on right now, but based on what I've heard, I don't understand. Chuck, what's so wrong with posting a picture of yourself holding black water <laughs> if you're fly undone with a woman that's not your wife? I don't I don't get what I don't get what the problem is right now. I just want to say that while I'm trying to catch up is, uh, what's your problem, man? Lighten up. No, and, well, also, we were, we... and also, I don't give a crap about how you throw a party at PBA without getting in trouble. I want to know how to get to, invited to a single party <laughs> at PBA as a commuter. Because if PBA is listening in any way, shape, or form, just because I'm a commuter, I still went to your school. So when you talk about alumni, I would like to be acknowledged. But carry on. Don't worry about yeah. it. It's fine. So, (laughs) whatever.
1: No, what we were talking about, Matt, was we were saying that we, the JP and I actually found that we can, we kind of relate to Falwell Jr. a little bit more right now because (laughs) he's sort of acting out. What we sort of also went through, which was sort of, rebe- you know, sort of responding to our uh, evangelical upbringing with, you know, partying and cutting loose and challenging, you know, yeah, those yeah, those yeah, boundaries yeah. a little bit. Yeah, but yeah, we yeah. also, but we didn't have the added complication of being the president of said university. Yeah,
2: yeah. or the complete lack of common sense when it comes to don't post the picture on the internet. <laughs> I'm just right. saying, if you take a picture, why did you post it? <laughs> no, I don't get because... it. Because.
1: Matt, it turns out the black water wasn't black water. <laughs> oh. it, was, it was probably Jägermeister.
2: I totally believed him. I drink black water all the time. I totally thought that black water... What the crap? Like, you couldn't lie better? Like, Dr. Pepper... Uh,
0: Pepsi, <laughs> That's what you were just saying. <laughs> tea... I said tab. Coke, but...
2: Pick anything but Mr. Black, <laughs> black water... <laughs> we all got, for crying out loud. We, we've all got black water in the fridge guys. Let me go get my cup of black water so I can joke around. Well a it also photo. just goes to just show. A marketing
1: opportunity for a Liberty University. They should start manufacturing Jerry Falwell's black
0: water. <laughs> <laughs>
2: they, first of all, they'd be filthy rich and if they don't, that's the dumbest thing. Are ever. you living a repressed all, life
0: and just want to cut loose with your <laughs> with your friends on a yacht? Take crack your Instagram, crack over at Jerry Take your yeah, here's yeah, your Instagram
2: moment water. with black water. Just make sure you do your duck lips in your selfie and everything's fine.
1: I kinda wanna Congratulations. I kinda want to make that like a product we sell through our podcast now.
2: Absolutely. Juniors um
1: Junior's Juniors Blackwater. It'll
0: make you a good boy. <laughs> Something uh interesting happened. This past week, um, while movie theaters are, are struggling to survive, while the, ind- while the film industry uh, continues limping forward uh, through everything that's happening right now, uh, one Brave Studio decided to, uh, to dump, do a, a media blitz, if you will, of all their future projects coming out to get us talking about movies again. And I have to say, as much as, like, I'm not, like, a huge fan of DC, um, it was good to be, like, ah, movies, you know? Like, remember, remember when we talked about movies that were coming out, and we were kind of, like, speculating stuff? Um, so DC did that. They had their, the DC Fan Dome, uh, something that I thought was, oof, really dorky, but I guess, I mean, it's for nerds anyway, right? Um... And I guess it's sort of like uh, their version of like a virtual Comic Con, and yeah. uh, they dropped some footage. They had some trailers, some some behind the scenes featurettes, and some announcements. And uh, we're going to talk about that right now because there are some things that kind of piqued our interest.
1: Well, and it, and we say it also comes off comes on the heels of like a major like shakeup. You know, most of the most of the DC Comics writing staff being let go, and I didn't them, know about that. Oh yeah, see, that's the genius of it, right? It, it this overshadows the other part. Wow. Um, yeah, the DC DC writing staff, uh, DC Comics staff being severely diminished. Um, DC Universe, their streaming platform, done. That makes sense with HBO Max and, coming up. Yeah, it's sort of all rolled into HBO wait, Max now. Yeah.
2: Wait, hold on, because that's honestly that's a piece of news I completely missed out on. I
1: think I think if if I'm remembering the news correctly, that I think either I don't think Dan is Dan DiDio still cre- chief creative officer, or they made or did they make Jim Lee that? But one of the big news, one of the big deals out of it was that they that some senior um, editorial staff on DC Comics, it's two women. Hmm. That yeah. were brought in, which that that could be very interesting, but it's going to result <laughs> in a major shakeup because they're going to diminish the number of titles they publish. Um, this is classic Warner Brothers, by yeah. the way. Yeah. Um, and um, you know, it's 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 not a very smart thing because you know they they could be learning from the way Marvel handles this, where Marvel doesn't make a whole lot of money from their um, Matt suddenly looks like a cocoon. I know <laughs> that's very- what I
0: was saying too. <laughs>
2: I don't I don't know what's wrong with my camera, but I always glow like a cocoon alien. I agree. It's freaking It's fine. The I truth. understand. It's freaking it's the me. Out. Carry on. Freaking me. Nope. Out. I'm totally I'm totally buying my goal is to only make JP cry before the episode's over.
1: Yeah, Marvel 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 does not make money on Disney does not make money on the on Marvel comics, but they have come to realize that the comics are a great place to sort of test out storylines and characters and kind of get an idea of what's going to resonate before they put it on the screen. And that's been the way they've been approaching this. And it looks like that's also the way they're going to start doing star Wars because they, um, they've done this whole um, high Republic era thing that they've announced that they're going to start launching. And the rumor now is that that's what the next star Wars movies are going to be, It'll be set in that time frame. So it's clearly they're using the books and the comics as a test Ground for um, their, what they want to do, which Warner Brothers could very easily do with the comics, but I guess they're also trying to do something very different in the cinematic universe, and that's more what JP wants to talk about, is that, you know, we're we're looking at a different era where they're not necessarily trying to replicate Marvel's model and instead just having fun with making movies and letting people make the movies they want to make without necessarily feeling a whole lot of pressure to interconnect all of them.
0: Right. Yeah, and um, I think that's interesting, and I think it's, <laughs> what's funny is that they will still end up kind of doing, sort of replicating how comic books work, especially in DC with the convoluted, you know, dimensional crossovers right. and stuff, because now, like, one of the, the Flash movie is going to have, like, three different Batmans in it, right? One of which is Michael Keaton. Yeah, <laughs> yes, awesome. Um. Cool, alright, so let's get into it. Um, so the first feature I remember was the suicide squad mm-hmm. suicide squad 2 directed by by by, by James Gunn. Um, it wasn't a trailer, but some, they finally released footage of it. And it looks super cool like it's like a 70s style kind of uh, well, it's
1: supposed to be set in the
0: 70s right yeah. <clears throat> so of course James Gunn's gonna sort of approach it in that sort of nostalgic sort of lens. Of like a like a, a dirty dozen type movie and also the poster looks very 80s G.I. Joe which I, yeah. I appreciate um I don't know I can't really say much about it it was just a feature ad it's just like a, like a press it, gate, like <laughs> yeah well
1: it's gonna it, it is i'm I'm really amazed at how nerdy they are allowing him to get with this because the character roster is deep. And we're going to see one of the characters is, um, is, is Peacemaker. um, It's John Cena, right? Which is John Cena. Yeah. And Peacemaker is um, a Carlton, a Carlton comics character. That was the inspiration of the comedian in Watchmen. Okay. And so that's a, that's a deep cut. Yeah. Character. And they've got more of those uh, coming out as well. Um, King Shark is going to be in it as an anthropomorphic talking shark. Yeah, that looks awesome. Which is, you know, and if honestly, James Gunn's about the only person I trust to make that
0: movie. <laughs> at this point. Yeah, and like the, what was kind of turning out to be is what I was kind of hoping Suicide Squad was was going to turn out to be when like when I first saw like the cast photos and stuff like years ago. Like when they revealed like Killer Croc, I thought I was like that looks cool. Yeah. Um, then it turned out to be not not not, not great well the irony right is
1: that suicide squad was clearly trying to chase the guardians of the galaxy yeah. vibe and at least in post-production up, <laughs> right and then they wind up getting james gunn
0: yeah that's how you do <laughs> it that's how you do it um okay and then there was of course re- re- revealing um footage from the snyder cut yes Rejoice, fanboys! Uh, you're the only people in the world who's ever used Twitter to get something done.
1: <laughs> I never thought about that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Racial so,
1: justice? Nah. No. Uh, uh, climate climate justice? Nah.
0: <laughs> Snyder cut. Oh yeah, it happened. So pat yourselves on the back. Um, I still think it might not be that good because I feel like I've I've, I've been on this road many times with you know. Director's cuts and with uh, showing you the version that you were essentially robbed of, um, and then just being and just walking and be like, ah, oh, my opinion hasn't really changed that much on the movie. Um, but hey, it could be the first one to be like a completely different film. Um, well, I mean,
1: I I think it is because this I mean didn't I mean Joss Whedon like significantly refilmed like what like forty percent of what Snyder had done. Probably. I mean, there's a there's a major, I mean, there's, based off of the preview that I saw, there's so much footage that was not in the theatrical version that leads me to believe that there was a, there was a, I mean, obviously there was enough for a four hour movie.
0: Yeah, that's, I don't, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, I, I, a... I, I don't know who to trust when it comes to that kind of reporting, to be honest. Like right. some of it could be exaggerated. I'm I'm just interested is more out of curiosity than anything because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. that is that is that a lot keyboard. of
0: reshooting that is a lot of recobbling uh comp- and, you know I did say I have seen movies where they kind of restructured a film like the first one that comes to mind is uh this is uh going to get a little little nerdy but like um the exorcist prequel uh that came out like in the mid early mid 2000s uh, some of us horror nerds were actually very excited about that because we like oh. The Exorcist and even though there's going to be a prequel, uh, Paul Schrader was attached to write and direct it and as you know, Paul Schrader is a guy who wrote Taxi Driver uh, he recently wrote and directed one of my favorite films recently, uh, First Reformed and so Paul Schrader doing, you know, an Exorcist movie it sounded really cool but the studio hated it and this was Warner Brothers by the way uh, the studio hated it, and they hired a new director, Rennie Harlan, who is responsible for a Cliffhanger.
2: Is this, is this, is this, I just have to ask a question, and yeah. I'm not interrupting, I want you to carry on right where you left off, but is this the Exorcist Dominion versus whatever?
0: Yes, yes. Okay,
2: carry on. Go ahead. I just want to make sure I'm following you.
0: Yeah. And, uh, they got Rennie Harlan, uh, who's, you know, famous for directing Cliffhanger. Um, Long Kiss, Goodnight, <laughs> not Not uh, the same caliber as Paul Schrader. And yeah, it was not a good movie. I, if, no, I, but
2: I loved Long Kiss, Goodnight, Carrie. Yeah, sorry. I do too.
0: I mean, I like a lot of his movies, to be honest. Cliffhanger is Cliffhanger's a banger. Uh, of course, his first American film was named Red Street 4, Dream Master. Uh, one of my favorite <laughs> horror movies. Um, But then, you know, it didn't do well. It bombed, and then they were like, okay, <laughs> maybe we can release this this other Paul Schrader version of the movie on DVD and like not tell anybody. Then it came out and I watched it. and It wasn't very good. So like yeah, I, I've I've been down this road. Um, and you know I've I've never been super impressed with other director's cuts. The only director I know of that I that I really love more than the original would be like Blade Runner. Um, there's like five different cuts of it, but the the final cut is like superior to all the original ones that came before, in my opinion. Um. So, yeah, that's just my thoughts i don't i'm I'm more curious than anything uh i
2: wish I wish I remembered
0: j p. There's the Exorcist Dominion and the
2: Exorcist what
0: I think it was like um the beginning or something.
2: yeah, I really wish I remembered which one was which because Did... I do remember watching them, and one of them I hated beyond belief. It bored me out of my mind. I wanted to like shut it off and lose it. The other one I was like, Oh, this one's okay. Yeah, which the compared the, to the other one meant it was a masterpiece and I don't know which one I saw first.
0: Yeah, the Rennie Harlan version was the beginning, I think, and then the mm. Paul Schrader version was Dominion.
2: I wish I remember which one was which. I just remember like literally scenes are exact, word for word, acted out, and they'll change like the filter on the lens and that <laughs> made the difference between this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen too. Oh yeah, it's okay. Um, literally changes like that,
0: but anyway. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. Um, but Chuck, I, I I take it that you're actually quite excited for this, and that uh, you have high hopes for it.
1: Um, I don't know if I have high hopes. I mean, it's I'm I'm just I've I've come to embrace the fact that I'm a sucker for for Sny- Zack Snyder's thing. Um, I I like I like Man of Steel. I'm I'm a defender of Man of Steel. Um, I like. I I, I find enjoyment in Batman v Superman: Dawn of Justice, that stupidly titled movie. Um, I've not seen the director's version of that, which I've been told is a much better movie. Um, Justice League was an absolute mess, though, and I and I could tell. Like, I remember watching it and just seeing that this was clearly another director's like edit of someone else's movie. Like, it just. There were just, you could you could almost like point out like oh yeah Joss Whedon did this scene Zack Snyder did this scene I just it was so obvious and just such an ugly messed up movie and you know the visual aesthetic was kind of there but the but everything else was wrong um, you know I know people love to make fun of the the CGI mustache thing but that's not really anyone's <laughs> fault that may be Paramount's fault for not letting them you know just being petty but. But um, I I I will say though watching the trailer for the the Snyder cut I got a little amped for it just because I I was so I'm so curious to see where Snyder wants to go with this because he's you know I think so many people hate those movies because they expect them to be direct adaptations of comic book stories whereas Snyder seems to be trying to work these characters in this different you know, context, or you want to say it's like a Randian context or whatever it is you want to say. And I'm just, I'm just very curious to see where he wants to go with it. And I just wanted to, he was clearly to me trying to build something and whether it's, whether it's the most like, m- like maximal ugly thing. I just want to see that in product. I'm just, you know, um, yeah, I never bought like, I jazz, gonna, by the way, do I think I'm
0: a Randian thing? thing. What? I never bothered that bought jazz him. by him yeah. like using an objectivist you know, philosophy or whatever in his movies. I don't think I, I think that's just who Zex is. Yeah. <laughs> I but I think
1: it, yeah. um but I think that like like I, are we gonna get are we gonna get a nuanced take on dark side that's gonna rival that of Josh Brolin's Thanos? No. Um <laughs> you know, but I'm I just I am I'm very interested and you know, am I gonna shell out money to HBO now max, whatever streaming service it is that it's going to be on. Am I going to probably not? I'll probably wait till it comes out in some kind of physical media to check it out. But I'm, um, yeah, like I'm kind of, I'm kind of geeking out over the prospect. Mm-hmm. Um, not to the extent that like the people who got it, ha- made it happen, have geeked out over it. Cause that's, yeah. that's scary geeking out. Um, you know, I'm not gonna buy a billboard,
0: yeah, that's, I think that's the sad thing about the, about those diehard fans, is that I think that, like, even after it comes out. It won't um, live up. No. And they'll be angry at people who are saying things like, who who don't love it. Like. Right. And it's because they don't like it either, <laughs> because it's like, well, if I don't like it, at least they like it, which which sort of validates this kind of a sort of belief I may have, right? Uh, but that's not going to happen, and it's going to be like, oh, you mean this wasn't the the transcendent uh, event we were all hoping for?
1: Yeah, I, I mean, we're probably going to see, you know, we might see some ugliness on par with Last Jedi. Yeah, <laughs> over it, because I mean. You know, it, like you said, it's it's when it doesn't exist, it becomes just a void on which you can project anything.
0: Yeah, it's going to be the SJWs' fault. It's going right. to be somehow Marvel's fault.
1: Though I will say, Snyder is doing a really good job of of on on like social media and stuff of really jazzing up the fact that it's his vision, and so. At this point, it, I think he's doing a pretty, a good enough job to say that it rises and falls on him, and so if the fans hate it, they can't say, "Oh, Warner Brothers meddled and did this over here or whatever." They're going to have to say, "No, this is Zack Snyder."
2: Yeah. What I found out is, I have been a Marvel fan. I have loved Marvel. Everything Marvel has been perfect. Um, they, I mean, not perfect. They stumbled here and there, but overall they brought what, like 20 years of movies together to make this like masterpiece of a vision. And it was the first time that I was like, wow, look, like a studio was involved in basically running this and directors got to put their little flourishes here and there, but overall it's kind of the same. But um, I loved it all the way through. Um, when all is said and done, the Marvel universe has carried out from Iron Man 1 to Endgame this like amazing masterpiece. Then we had a discussion after I saw, I believe, if you go, if you're a new listener, go back to our episode on like Captain Marvel, I think it was. We had a discussion where I was like, I'm starting to get bored. And what I have found is. And this is going to be something that if I went back in time, maybe even a year ago, I'd beat myself up for saying. What I found is I am more excited about the things being discussed for DC than I give a crap about anything that I know is coming out from Marvel,
0: yeah, well, like it's, uh it's a new as flavor. much as
2: I absolutely as much as I absolutely love Kamel Nanjiani, and I loved listening to his stay-at-home podcast and talking about how he got in shape for that and him and his wife joking around about how buffy is um, I don't I don't really care about the movie that's coming out because I know what that movie's gonna be. Is it gonna be good yes well I enjoy watching it absolutely is it gonna change anything no.
1: I think what you're talking about with with DC, and it's some of the one of the reasons why I've been I've been interested in Snyder's movies, is that there is this sort of swing for the fences approach to them, whereas mm-hmm. Marvel has clearly, I mean, brilliantly, but they've clearly followed a formula. Yeah. Um, They've, in recent movies, sort of deviated from that formula a little bit. Captain Marvel's a bit of a deviation for an origin film. You know, she starts the film out with her powers rather than, mm-hmm. um, you You know, you watch the normal structure building up to it. But it's all very... it's all Formulaic. Very formulaic and kind of safe. It's it, it definitely has that feel of, you know, mass appeal.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, whereas, I mean... Batman v Superman features beloved children's characters, one of which carrying a kryptonite spear of destiny, trying to kill the other one. Um, You know, the first words of Batman v Superman is like the advent of the Superman. I mean, clearly Snyder is going bonkers with this stuff and willing to take risks with these characters that, that, that Marvel wouldn't, you know, Marvel didn't even try taking those kinds of risks until probably Infinity War. Yeah, and, uh,
2: and, and so I just, and, I'm all for it. Yeah, and Batman v Superman, all I can say, because I have seen the um, R-rated version, which the only reason it's R is because they put some footage in it that hasn't been rated, and rather than unrated, they got it rated. But anyway, mm-hmm. I saw the R-rated version. I don't really remember it, but what I remember is texting, I believe, JP, maybe both of you and the messenger, But saying after, I remember seeing the theatrical cut and hating it. Mm -hmm. And then I saw the quote-unquote R-rated version, and I actually enjoyed it. I cannot tell you the difference between the two, because I didn't watch them back-to-back. All I know is whatever was different, and I told whoever I was talking to, I said, literally, there's one scene I can think of that was like 15 seconds longer. And that alone changed that scene to me. So I don't know what it is, but that version was definitely superior to what was released in theaters and maybe it's only the 15 seconds that I noticed.
1: I think that I think that with um what happened is that Warner Brothers has probably kind of figured out that they should just let Zack Snyder be Zack Snyder because I don't care what Zack Snyder says about how his vision was always to do it the way he did it. He got studio notes. And they told him mm-hmm. that they wanted Batman in the next Superman movie. And they also wanted it to be a movie that's going to address the criticism of all the destruction at the end of the first Superman movie. <laughs> um, and so he was sort of pigeonholed into responding to the criticism. Because, And then you can see the same thing happen with Justice League. Is it's criti- it's responding to the criticism that was found about Justice League. And so there's so much studio interference going on. The, the scuttlebutt that I've heard is that you know, Snyder took a leave of absence because of his daughter's really tragic death. Um, but that the studio also saw an opportunity to kind of get him out of there because they were concerned that, you know, these movies weren't, you know, they weren't pulling in billion dollars. They were, you know, they they weren't not making money, but they were, you know, they wanted a billion dollar movie. And so they thought, oh, well, if we can just get Joss Whedon, who made Avengers, to come in and rework this thing, like we've got ourselves a guaranteed billion dollar film. And that did not happen because... Justice League is one of the ugliest movies that I've ever seen. Um, And, um, you know, and so I think that with this, they're sort of like, okay, maybe we should have, maybe we should just let Zack Snyder be Zack Snyder. You know, the stakes are lower when it's being released on a streaming service. So let him, let him go, let him go buck wild.
2: Well, and that's what, that's what I'm super curious about seeing about his cut. I don't think anything about his cut is going to drastically change my opinion of Justice League. I don't. I think I'm gonna see it and be like, oh, okay. But what I'm curious about is, um well, first of all, let me throw a total side note in there and say that uh Father Chuck, I'm gonna rock your world and let you know that I am also a defender of Man of Steel. Mm-hmm. I actually I actually like that movie. I yeah, think that it I has its flaws. I understand it I understand its problems, but I absolutely liked it. I thought that it was a incredible and Interesting take on the Superman character, and I totally enjoyed it.
0: Yeah, I, um, I want to make an addition anyway. too while we're doing it. I definitely mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. think that there were some movies and some uh, a period of time where I was under a particular uh, spell of a film critic. <laughs> um, because I look back at no, it now, I'm like, things like this, JP, never, <laughs> he, he
2: who shall not be named but carry because on.
0: I, I look back I at some of the things that I was like kind of clutching my pearls over i look back at it now i'm like that's lame now i'm just like no more destruction like can we level two <laughs> like, cities dude, next time like last time like, like, oh, so many I buildings falling. now i'm like no make more buildings fall that's awesome so
2: yeah i want to I, <laughs> I like Man of now. steel it's
0: good it's good now
2: yeah because i want to point out something i noticed the first viewing <laughs> and still to this day believe, is a lot of people complain about the whole like, oh my goodness, he's fighting and he destroyed half the city and didn't even think about all the lives. And then he snapped a man's neck at the end. What kind of Superman is that? When I saw it the first time, did I like it? No, but that's why I appreciate it now is that I didn't like it because what I saw is the Vision of the movie and Henry Cavill's portrayal of Superman showed this, like, despair, depression almost. Like, like he was just totally torn up about the fact that he has to do this and realizes the cost and effect it's having. Like, in my opinion, it was written all over his face from his acting portrayal. Man of Steel showed Superman express the weight of the actions that he's taking and what they do to the world around him. And I feel like the audience missed that because of flashy Marvel movies at the time, which I still love defend and will stand by, but Marvel kind of took that away from them.
1: You know, let's, I'm I'm glad you're bringing this up, Matt, because it's making me think a little bit about, um, how do you cinematically depict the vulnerability of a character like Superman? If you know, like Christopher Reeve, Christopher Reeve depicts Superman as a very aspirational figure, right? And this is, you know, that movie's coming at a time where, you know, distrust in like American institutions is at an all-time low. And so to have, you know, you know you'll believe a man can fly show up is like, you need that. <laughs> we needed to see, you know, an institutional icon, somebody who stands for truth, justice in the American way to be someone like, oh, yeah, we can believe in this person. Um, we live in a, you know, how do you show you know, all the, like Marvel set the standard for cinematic heroes and they're all flawed and they're all, they're all struggling with things. How do you do that with Superman? You know, how do you do that? You know, without, you don't necessarily need to make him, you know, I mean, I think that you have to understand the, you, you have to cinematically depict the weight that's on his shoulders as a hero for you to be able to empathize with him. And so to show a world being destroyed around him, And them having to be forced with the, you know, that, that moment where he's holding Zod and Zod is using his, you know, using his heat rays to almost, you know, try to, you know, to threaten this family. The stakes are quite small in that moment because it's, it's just a family.
2: But it's everything to
1: him. But yeah, it's everything to him, but it's also, it's carried that whole trajectory of what you've seen Zod capable of doing. Um, you know, the destruction was Zod. It wasn't necessarily Superman, you know, Superman, you know, I mean, the criticism, of course, he's not doing more to try to stop buildings from falling and he's not doing all of that kind of stuff. But I think Snyder is trying to show the sort of existential weight that Superman is facing in that moment. And so the fact that he, you know, that he has to give into this and for us as an audience who have, you know, Snyder assumes that most of us know Christopher Reeves as Superman, and so to see him make that make that action and take that that course is shocking. Um But I think it's also like it gets us into the headspace of what we do in that same situation, and yeah, yeah. you know, it's in it. So I think it, it cinematically depicts the, the 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 moral and existential
0: weight that a character like Superman
1: has to deal with.
2: Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it. Sorry, go ahead, JP.
0: Uh, I was just okay. going to say that Michael Shannon rules, and the part where yes, Superman is being dragged down into a, a pool of skulls with super metal until it reminded me of like Bronze Age Superman covers. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Sorry.
2: <laughs> but what what I have to what I have to say about Man of Steel is, um, first of all, Henry Cavill's portrayal of Superman I absolutely love. And his portrayal of Clark Kent, I love even more. But that's a totally different discussion. But, um, but to show a character that people argue is like, well, if this character is invincible, and I hate this argument about Superman, I hate it. It drives me insane, is the argument of, if he's invincible, how can I relate to him? How do I relate to a character that's invincible? He's not going to die. Nothing can hurt him. And Man of Steel answered that question, but people didn't like the answer. And that's what they got angry about. Because the truth is, if you are invincible, the world around you is not. So if you are invincible, how... When you want to devote your life to saving people and protecting people, how do you handle when you have to go at home at night knowing I saved the world, I protected the world again, but I was unable to stop people from getting hurt? I was unable to stop people from getting killed. I, even, when he did the neck moment, I had to inflict pain and ultimately take a life in order to save this world. So I'm invincible, but what does that mean? And I think another character that I would argue exemplifies that in an incredible, amazing way, even though it's a super profound and even sometimes funny portrayal because it's satirical, but a character that nails that dead on is Dr. Manhattan um, from The Watchmen. Yeah. If you are ultimately invincible, unable to be killed, you can't even be hurt, you're invulnerable, bullets don't hurt you, nothing can touch you, you can save anybody and you're fine, but you realize I can't save everybody, where does that leave you?
0: Yeah. It, like it turns if, I, doctor- if
2: I realize I.
0: Go ahead. I was to say that, that that very notion is what turns Dr. Manhattan into like a nihilist.
2: Exactly. It, it's the idea. It's the vampire movies that we all know it. At this point, we all know. Um, we grew up hearing about vampires. They live forever. They're Dracula. They want to suck your blood. And then the more modern day, it's like they live forever and they're cursed with living forever because they have to watch everybody else die. But it really is an understanding of like if you are invincible, invulnerable, all-powerful, nothing can hurt you, but everybody else around you is still fragile, broken, can be killed at any moment. You can't save everybody, so where does that leave you when you watch everything that happens around you? But
1: what I realized that Man of Steel shows about Spider, about Superman, um, (laughs)
2: spider
1: About Superman (laughs) is that the one place that Superman is not invulnerable is emotionally. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He can he can be hurt emotionally.
2: Right. Right, which which in the dumbest dumbest thing on the face of the earth because we all know it's bull crap, but that's why he puts on a pair of glasses and pretent, pretends to be somebody else. Mm-hmm. It's not because somebody can hurt me. It's because he realizes somebody can hurt everybody I care about. So they can't know who I am. Because if they know who I am, they're going to hurt all the people around me that I love. So as dumb as it is at putting on a pair of glasses and thank you for uh, bad man's discussing to us how putting on glasses doesn't confuse anybody. (laughs) I love that. Anyway, college humor. Look it up. You'll figure it out. College humor. Bad man. Pete Holmes. But um,
0: it's also a really funny bit. Mystery
2: man. But Superman pretends to be Clark Kent, not because he's worried about people knowing who he is because he might get hurt or killed or somebody might try to show up and hurt him. But Superman does that because he cares about the people he loves and knows that he can't always protect them. So the only thing he can do is hide in the shadow and hope that nobody realizes that he's a person connected to them.
1: I kind of realized that this uh, this conversation is almost like, a full circle from like our first episode. Yeah,
2: it is because a Batman V super second episode. We've gone through impact, a lot since 2016.
0: Was,
1: but... God, <laughs> I watched Insane. I watched Captain Marvel the other night with Kana. Cause she hadn't seen it. And she was in a, in, she was being kind of lately in the mood for watching Avengers, <laughs> Avengers movies. And uh, so I was like, let's catch, check, check out Captain Marvel. Um, and um, um, I realized that movie came out in 2019. Holy crud, guys.
2: Wait, it feels like no, it's like five years old. Hold on, yeah, hold on. For... <laughs> no, you need to look right now and forgive the listener, the video people appreciate more, but you seriously need to tell me the exact release date because you just it's blew year. my mind and freaked me out. But when in 2019? Because that's like I in don't June, believe you. I don't believe you. Uh,
1: I absolutely
2: don't. Like I need you to look up and tell me the exact release date. Cause it you're is freaking me out right now.
1: It came out March 8th, 2019 in the United States.
2: Okay. Let me take two seconds and I'll let you get back on track to just, just say year and a half. Yeah. Let me take two seconds. so You can get back on track to just make the statement that 2020 sucks. beyond belief.
0: <laughs> I think it's high time to move on to the Batman is what I think. Um, so the other thing that they talked about in the DC FanDome um, is uh, the the release of the trailer. Well, I guess they they brought out Matt Reeves to talk about the Batman and sort of the uh, progress on that, and they released the trailer, and it was awesome. Long yeah, trailer, yeah, long trailer, good trailer. Uh, oh my gosh! First of all,
2: <laughs> the this... tr- the we we're talking about the trailer to the sequel to Seven, right?
0: Because yeah that's what I, think, I
2: felt like when i saw it
0: like, i've never felt more marketed to in my life <laughs> um because the the trailer if you if you were listening to the albums during music mayhem this year when i chose nirvana never mind uh they played uh something in the way from nirvana during the the batman trailer and the even the even epic trailer fight it not something i'd ever thought i would i would ever see yeah I, for, for, I mean nirvana i could probably see but a, a song like something in the way which is for never is it's a deep cut um a, a song that kind of makes me cry i usually when i listen to it because it's so depressing um <laughs> but also uh there's that and then there's the fact that um once it was released the crow started trending on twitter <laughs> Because everyone was and sort of like the, to the, the crow. crow. Yeah. Uh, so, like I said, I don't think I've ever felt more marketed to in my life.
1: Well, didn't you say something too that like Matt Reeves said that like Chinatown was an inspiration? Oh yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Matt Reeves was talking about uh, yeah Chinatown. Okay, was we a big did, inspiration. Can we
2: just stop? Can we just stop and say that the trailer? <laughs> Was basically a three second black screen with white text that said "JP, this movie's for you," <laughs> and move Pause on. It. Let's move on. Carry right on. At the same at the <laughs> exact moment. Yeah.
1: Turns out Matt Reeves has been listening to our
0: podcast all these years, and he's <laughs> like, okay, this guy, this Taking guy notes. I know he'll he'll see this movie. Well, it's interesting. This I mean, that's I mean, when he usually when people, when filmmakers mention Chinatown, they don't quite go into why it inspired it? the movie they made. I mean, I, I I think that they get it, but I think it's always PR reasons that it's brought up. Matt Reeves described like what Chinatown was about, and understood like the corruption side of it, and the way he's he described like how this story is going to be about like, the history of Gotham. I'm like, okay, yeah, I could see how, how, how Chinatown could be like that. Um, so that made me super excited for it. <laughs> well, have- and, they,
1: and they drop a great hint early on in the uh, in the trailer. That there could be something to do with the Court of Owls.
0: What and, was that? I see. I, I'm not super familiar with Court of Owls. I know you you told so, me all about it once.
1: Court of Owls is one of the so you know every now and then a comic book writer comes along and contributes something to the canon of a character that is just it leaves such a mark that it you know like it feels like it's something that should have been a part of the character all along. So Scott Snyder, who was um, longtime senior writer for uh, Batman comics. Um, uh, during the New 52 era of DC Comics, introduced this outlist this concept known as the Court of the Owls, which is this secret society that has been sort of pulling the strings behind Gotham for centuries, like ever since its founding. And they they're completely anonymous people. They wear these owl masks, and they um and yeah, so it's like this Illuminati for Gotham. And they employ they employ these Undead, uh, sort of Winter Soldier like um, um, warriors, people that they that are owls, and um, and they, they they are like martial art type. So they have become like this big thing um, in the in the deal where like when Batman learned about them, he was surprised because like I thought I've known everything about the history of my city, and finds out that they are. These super connected uh, individuals who have worked in business and politics and stuff in Gotham—it's sort of—it sort of sounds like um, the way that Reja Ghul in Batman Begins talks about the League of Shadows right. and the work they've done, but they're a specifically Gotham group, and you know they're the right kind of Gotham, creepy and and all of that. Well, there's a moment in the begin toward the beginning of the trailer where you see a like a greeting card and when the the greeting card is open and it has something about like no more lies or something or liar question mark written in it. Well, the cover features an owl image that looks an awful lot like one of the court of owls type things um, from the comics. And given that the storyline is dealing with the history of Gotham and the, and a possible role that Thomas Wayne might've had in corruption in Gotham, it makes me wonder if they're going to sort of do a thing where Thomas Wayne was a member of the court of owls or had been part of them, but like left them. And that's what led to his murder or something like that. But I think it's a really cool uh, element in the Batman mythos of, of recent comics and exciting to see somebody incorporate something that's new and fresh in the goth, in the Batman mythos, rather than going back to, you know, another Joker story or, yeah.
2: Oh no, this guy oh, who dresses Joker. like
1: a bat probably has messed up psychological
0: issues <laughs>
2: Apple TV released a 30-minute free documentary about the character Joker okay. called Joker Put on a Happy Face. And it's a 30-minute thing discussing about why, quote-unquote, Joker is the greatest supervillain of all time. Um, look it up as soon as you can. Not that uh, we're talking right now. Too. You wait till you hang up unless you have another way. Look it up, but joker put on a happy face documentary it was free on itunes i downloaded it on apple tv i watched it and it changed my view on first of all joker second of all dc movies and why i'm excited about them coming out and also father truck i think you'll be the one to appreciate this why i now 100 percent support jared leto's portrayal in. um And And Suicide suicide Squad. Yes. Because although the movie is crap, although the movie is crap, and although I did not understand it when I saw it, when I heard this 30 minute documentary talk about Joker, it turned my world upside down in a way where I was like, man, he nailed it. Because the person, first of all, they interview everybody under the sun, people who created it, they've got Stan Lee in there from before he passed away. They've got Jack Nicholson. They've got um, Jared Leto talking about it. They've got all the directors and everything under it. And And also, everybody pretty much agrees that Jack Nicholson was like the height of the character. He's the one that... He's like the... He is the Sean Connery of James Bond, is Jack Nicholson to Joker. But then they say that Mark Hamill's voicing and portrayal of the Joker in the Batman animated series is what entirely defined and made the character. Like, from that point on, everything changed. And um, then they talk about, you know, everything else, and it reaches, like, Heath Ledger and how he opened it to a world that they didn't even know existed. And then Leto expressed which i didn't realize he expressed the psychotic joker like if somebody actually was a homicidal person who thought hey you know how i could scare people i could dress like a clown they're gonna look like jared leto and they're gonna act like jared leto in that movie so i gotta say father chuck for the first time ever I was won over, and I appreciate your view that, yes, I agree, Jared Leto did something with the character that deserves to be, you know, given a thumbs up. Is it the ultimate version I want to see? No, but he did a good job. I like it.
0: Well, I know one thing I'm really excited about seeing in the, the new Batman movie is uh, a new portrayal of the Riddler, which is, you know, if we're talking about different portrayals, of different characters, and we've seen different portrayals of the Joker countless times, Batman millions of times riddler not many and i think it's awesome that uh they got that reeves got uh paul dano to play him who is just such a magnificent actor.
1: well Um, and and the riddler is arguably a much creepier villain than the joker
0: yeah i've always Um, thought they could do him way creepier than joker yeah
1: um what i like about in, well in in recent comics Joker I mean um, Riddler has been sort of has been depicted as a um, a strategic genius akin to Batman
0: mm-hmm. um, he's gotta he got to set all those trophies everywhere and he got to go collect them
1: yeah he's less he's less of a uh, he's less of a psycho which was kind of the depiction of him in the early 2000s and more of a um, a very just like bombastic personality who wants the satisfaction of knowing he's the smartest person in the room. Right. Um, and so I'll be interested to see what Paul Dano does with Riddler because he's a, he's a very versatile character, but like I said, can be way creepier than the Joker when done.
2: What I loved and hated about a certain movie is um, Jim Carrey's portrayal of the Riddler. I, honestly still to this day although the movie has taken on different meanings to me and i don't care for it in the way i used to but i still think it's funny because it's cheesy jim carrey's portrayal of the riddler always left me going i would be curious to see what he would do in it in a movie that was taken more seriously Mm -hmm. because i agree with you i think the riddler is To me, the Joker is, yes, I can see why people say the Joker is the ultimate supervillain of Batman and the ultimate supervillain maybe even of all time. But the Riddler is the one that scares me. There's something off about him. He just <laughs> lost his mind completely, but the Joker is calcul. I mean, the Riddler is calculated, determined. He knows exactly how he's going to work this and how he's going to make it come out, which is literally what a riddle is is i'm going to twist everything until you come to the conclusion i want it to be in. yeah he has and to be I smarter than jim batman Clint,
0: which is like that
2: <laughs> he has impossible. to be smarter than everybody yeah. so in order to beat him you have to like i don't even know what what you do because mm-hmm. he has to be the smartest person around and i thought jim carrey actually did it. if you go back and watch batman and robin ignore That's the forever. fact that I'm sorry, Batman Forever. Ignore the flashy neon colors. Ignore the stupid skin-tight neon green suit that Jim carries in with question marks on it. And just focus on his portrayal. And I was always curious, especially after I saw another failed movie of his, The Number 27. When I saw The Number 27, which is an awful movie, don't go watch it, but when I saw his acting in it, I did wonder if you took the Riddler and put him in a movie that was taken seriously where Jim Carrey acted like he did in the number 27, but with that mix of insanity and Batman Forever, what the crap kind of portrayal would we have gotten of the Riddler? And I probably would still be having nightmares to this day of it. Just guaranteed I'd be crying myself to sleep at night. But anyway, but I'm curious that as soon as I saw a question mark in this trailer, and when it ended with the 2021, 20, but instead of twos, it was question mark zero, question mark one, I lost my crap because I was like, I can't wait to see the Riddler portrayed And what looked like a sequel to Saw 2. I mean, a sequel to uh, Seven. Yeah. guess <laughs> it depressed the crap out of me. And, and because I, I have to leave you guys because I have to leave you guys to close this is the only reason I'm ranting right now because I'm gonna have to go. Um, Robert Pattinson I was in the second they announced him and yeah, seeing the trailer and seeing the trailer they still haven't shown him but I'm still in because if anybody has a doubt if anybody out there is going Robert Pattinson really how could he be Batman? obviously all you've seen is Twilight watch the other movie he movies he's been in i promise you he's gonna in my opinion and we'll see when it's done but my opinion he's gonna i'm sorry he's gonna kick ass in this role Mm -hmm. it's gonna be amazing so just wait for it because he's gonna be michael keaton the guy that we all went what a crappy idea is that for batman who to this day we still think of as bruce wayne and batman so, I think Robert Pattinson's going to do it. So, give him a chance. Hang in there because I think he's going to blow you away. And if you doubt it, watch his other stuff after Twilight. And that's all I got to say. And then I'm going to have to go and let you guys close up. That's why I ranted. But hey, all right,
0: man. It's
2: always good talking to you guys. And I got <laughs> plenty more to say. And you're probably thankful I'm hanging up. So We're going to throw a
0: party. A big. Uh, <laughs> yeah.
2: Please do. When I <laughs> hang up, please throw a big bash. I look forward to hearing it. All right, guys, I'll talk to you later. and to all the listeners and watchers out there, Good journey.
0: All right, thanks, good man.
1: Journey. Yeah, Robert Pattinson, great choice. I was like like Matt, I was on board the minute they announced him because I think he he has an almost like James Dean kind of quality, I think. like he's a he's got a kind of a classic actor, I, and that, I, that yeah. really came through in Twilight. I hate those movies, but I, I think I you know I, I could recognize that he's that he's a good actor um classic style actor and it's very clear watching twilight by the way which i'm sure you know that there is nobody who hates those movies more than robert pattinson and Kristen Stewart. <laughs> probably um i just also want to say i said, is uh this is the first batman movie that lets him wear the eyeliner
0: yeah i noticed that too
1: When he has the mask off. It's it's all smeared on his face. Yeah. The eye black. Awesome.
0: That looked that that was a super cool image too. That looked like something that kinda came off of like a comic panel. Yeah. Like I feel like I've seen that. It just it looked like a drawing. You know?
1: Yeah, it looks like it's definitely drawing um it's drawing some of the artistic stuff from like um Batman Year One and Long and a Long Halloween and um um there's a poster that they made that was Jim Lee. Jim Lee doing a, a, a version of the of this Batman.
0: And it's like oh, just red and black. It's really cool. All right, I do you, do you mean to tell me that this is a Batman movie where they didn't draw upon the Dark Knight Returns? Uh it is. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. We're free at last.
1: But all right, all right, let's 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 take a bet. Let's take a bet, JP. <laughs> all right. Okay. Let's take a bet on whether or not we see Joe chill, kill the Waynes, and we see pearls <laughs> dropping. Because uh, yeah. I think every Batman except for Batman and, and Robin.
0: I mean, Reeves that's did. That's... Yeah, but Reeves did go out of his way in his little TED talk. Um, that, like, not an origin story. Period.
1: <laughs> right, but if it's dealing with him, but if it's dealing with him... Well, nineteen eighty nine Batman is not an origin story either. He's been Batman for a while.
0: Yeah, but I don't know. There's there's plenty of flashbacks in that movie to be like eh, it's kind of. Uh, I'm I'm willing to bet there's some flashbacks in this one. Well, it's it's an or it's it's an origin story in that he's sort of demythologized, right? In the first bat, in the 1989 Batman, the nineteen eighty nine Batman, because he's not like in league with the cops yet. There's no Bat right. Signal. No one really knows who the Batman is but I don't know whatever
1: but that's sort of what this movie is too which is kind of fascinating it's almost like a remake of the 89 batman in the sense of batman's it's his second year as batman according to reeves yeah um i guess he does have a relationship with gordon right um but he's still sort of seen as either a myth
0: or like a potential problem right um I mean and then this kid is, is kind of like it does seem like it just sort of address how weird it is for a guy in a costume to just kind of like show up at a crime scene.
1: Right. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean, even um, he looks kind of like uncomfortable being there like in front of all the cops and stuff, you know.:
1: He does look it, Have you ever read um Have you ever read Darwin Cook's new Har- our New Frontier?
0: No, but i know about it i saw i saw the animated uh movie
1: okay the i i, I every now and then the d c comics app will run these like really great specials where you can pay like a dollar and get like a graphic novel and so that's how i picked up oh, okay. uh new new
0: frontier and i, mean, I know uh, all about darwin cook he's, he's like he's like amazing
1: yeah his artwork is uh harkens back to the golden age of comics uh mm-hmm. he died tragically a few years ago yeah. um But uh, New Frontier is this really great. For those who don't know, it's this really great comic series that um, takes the DC characters and their timeline and sort of introduces them as they like around the timeframes that they actually were introduced and treats treats their continuity in like a legitimate like chronological order. And it culminates with like the 1960s or 70s, I think, with um, very Atomic Age type things. But when Batman first shows up, it's very much the 30s. And they, they really do. They really, it really comes across that like he's very uncomfortable being around the police Hmm. because, you know, he's acting because the police are corrupt and he doesn't trust them. And Batman is like, and the people are terrified of him. And he's considered this inhuman thing. Um, People like Superman, but they don't, Batman's like a whole different ball game in it. And um, he's a much more violent character um, and there's elements in the trailer uh, for the Batman that seem to draw from that Darwin Cook aesthetic. Um, that um, I'm really hope. I mean, well, especially the scene where the the clown boys, like the 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 henchmen that look like they're the Joker's, yeah, with the the Z jokers. from Batman Beyond. Yeah, um, when they're sort of like, who are you supposed to be or whatever.
0: Yeah,
1: and then he just launches on that dude and just like goes overboard in
0: beating him up i saw someone describe it as uh spamming the triangle button oh that's funny that's (laughs) really funny uh
1: (laughs) uh but he says i'm vengeance um yeah i uh that that's a very that that reminded me of of uh batman's first appearance in new frontier where this police officer is describing seeing batman for the first time and he says that The sounds that came out of that struggle were nauseating and inhuman, (laughs) Um, you know, so I mean, I I, know in some ways I'm a little over the overly violent gothic Batman. Yeah, but it's it's become such an integral integral part of the character that it's hard to. You know,
0: yeah, I mean, you, you can only do so much deviation at this point, right? Yeah, it's kind of become the part that our culture just sort of responds to the most and gives the most money to. So, <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, I it, I will say that I like that the Batmobile is a hot rod, yeah, akin to the Denny O'Neill era of of uh, of Batman,
0: right? Um, I like that, and that's the thing that I was always upset about about Ben Affleck walking is that he explicit, explicit he explicitly said that. A lot of it, the inspiration behind what he was going to do when he was directing the Batman originally was he was drawing from Denny O'Neill and um, yeah. that era of Batman, which is my favorite.
1: Yeah, the adventurer Batman.
0: Yeah. And it was like real gothic, not like gritty, realistic. Right. But like actual gothic, like actual goth. Yeah. Like what Tim Burton was essentially drawing upon like Batman Returns.
1: Right. Yeah, that and like German Expressionism.
0: Exactly. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, um, yeah, and I will say, like the the little glimpse of Gotham that we get in the trailer for the Batman do harken back to the Tim Burton era.
0: Yeah. Did you hear uh, where where it's where it was actually filmed? I didn't know this until I watched the the thing.
1: Was it Pinewood Studios?
0: Yeah. No, no, it was uh, in Liverpool. Oh, okay. So Gotham this time around, this iteration of Gotham is based on Liverpool in England.
1: Interesting. So like almost like Gotham by
0: Gaslight, the uh, the sort of. Steampunky, well, not steampunk, but the it definitely makes it older than what we've seen before, which I think is an interesting. Take, I mean, I, that it, that lends the part of like giving it a history,
1: right? Well, and that's that's the thing about Batman that I've often found as an interesting character trait. and It's one of these things that you know you miss if you're not like like as an Episcopalian, I recognize it in him that his family is meant to be like a like they came over during the colonial period and that they have been these connected Anglicans for generations. Right. Um, And so, you know, that, you know, that, that connection with like Gothic churches, like Trinity and wall street or, you know, things like that, it, it really, that adds to the character. And that's a part of his identity that I think, again, a lot of people kind of can really quickly miss out on that. It's very important in him being a blue blood, wealthy, generationally wealthy person that he would have been of that sort of high church, gothic, Anglican background.
0: I think it's going to be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to it. I mean, I, I'm I'm so like not really into superhero movies anymore, but you say Batman and I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> it's, uh, it's like, I don't know. It's like yeah, it's Pavlovian. I, I guess so. I don't know what it is. I don't know. Maybe it's because it's like the first superhero I loved. I don't know. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah, I mean, my 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 first was Superman, but yeah. um, but Batman hits a certain spot.
0: And also, maybe it's because we both saw the nineteen eighty nine Batman when it came out, right? Like, yeah, I don't think people realize how seismic that movie was.
1: You know what it is? You know what it is? It's like COVID nineteen, right? Like COVID nineteen, you catch you catch COVID nineteen. And they say that even when you recover from it, like you have lingering symptoms that could, you know, carry on for a really long time. It, Batmania works the same way. We've just got, <laughs> we've just got residual Batmania in us from 1989.
0: <laughs> Batmania 89.
1: That should be the title of the episode.
0: <laughs> nice. All right. Well, uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I want to thank Father Chuck. Uh, you're welcome. And awesome uh, uh on that for being here as well. Yeah. Uh, be sure to join us again next time. Have a wonderful week and good journey. Good journey. Good journey.